Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us humbly acknowledge our shortcomings. Please join me in the unison prayer of confession printed in your bulletins. God of grace and mercy, you create a new order for our lives. Service before success, faith before knowledge, partnership over independence, the cross over the crown. You called us to be your church, united in faith and mission, but too often we let the differences divide us and fail to make your kingdom known on earth. Forgive us when we fall into the patterns of this world. Rejecting your call through our action or inaction. Forgive us, God, and move us to see the world in the light of your great love. Forgive us, God, and grant us peace. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, bless our proclamation of your word that we may receive the gifts of your wisdom and grace. Speak to us this day, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? They were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. You unfaithful people, 
Don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you suppose that the scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life that he has given us? But God gives us more grace. This is why it says, God stands against the proud, but favors the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cry out in sorrow. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter become mourning, and your joy become sadness. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not say evil things about each other. Whoever insults or criticizes a brother or sister insults and criticizes the law. If you find fault with the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge over it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is able to save and to destroy But you who judge your neighbor, who are you? This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes it's a little harder to say that line than others. One of the first CDs that I can remember purchasing for myself with the hard-earned allowance I stowed away in my childhood sock drawer after much deliberation and sampling along with my dad, who modeled exceptional patience as I poured over the many, many options at our local borders, which, yes, was still in business, was Kermit Unpigged. Now, featuring the musical stylings of none other than Kermit the Frog and the Muppets, this CD featured also Jimmy Buffett, Linda Ronstadt, Vince Gill, George Benson, Don Henley of the Eagles, and even Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) The album displayed a wide range of musical ability and genres by the Muppets, taking popular music from a variety of decades. This short album is filled with some gems, including my favorite and one of Kermit's signature songs that first debuted on The Muppet Show, Being Green. In the opening line, Kermit reflects that it's not that easy being green, and he dreams of being red or yellow or gold. Perhaps here in Ann Arbor, the difficulties of being green take on a little different meaning, (laughs) where maize or blue might be more appealing colors. But nonetheless, it's not that easy being green. And it's not that easy being the church either. As we think about being the church, being followers of Jesus all across the world, it's not that easy. Arguments tend to break out even among the first disciples. Those first students, the first followers of Jesus, argue along the way. In our first scripture reading from Mark, Jesus foretells his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection, and yet the disciples do not get it. Their lack of understanding leads them to silence, and they do not inquire into the heartbreak of Jesus' betrayal, into the pain of the passion, or even into the glory of the resurrection. The disciples do not understand and are afraid. 
Maybe none of the disciples asked Jesus for clarification out of fear and embarrassment of being that disciple. The one disciple who just doesn't understand and are hoping that if they play along, someone else would eventually explain it or use it in a sentence like a new and unknown vocabulary word. Perhaps it is not that easy being a follower of Jesus, or maybe it is the challenge of being a follower of Jesus together, with the other disciples looking on, constantly being on guard to maintain pride and honor, holding a different perspective than the one sitting next to them, comparing and debating one another. And as in any community, dealing with other people's expectations can be tricky and uncertain. Nevertheless, the juxtaposition of Jesus' prediction and the disciples' poor perception is striking. When faced with the magnitude of the road that Jesus is on, the road that leads to the cross, the road that we remember in Lent, the disciples turn their attention away and argue about who among them is the greatest. It is not that easy being one of Jesus' followers, or at least the seemingly constant shortcomings of the disciples would have us believe that. Even though they are learning from Jesus, listening to parables, witnessing miracles, they're hearing his sermons, they are accompanying him along the way, they are sitting at his feet and sharing bread. But their lack of understanding or their fear or their pride lead them to become distracted. Distracted from the big picture of Jesus' life, death, his resurrection, and his ministry. At least in this moment, the disciples miss it. And they turn instead to their own argument. And when Jesus asks them about their argument, there's silence. No ums or ahs or attempts to explain, or even an attempt to lie, but silence. Like a deer in the headlights, they simply stop. Like when you know you're in trouble and you've been caught, so your only instinct is to freeze. Much in the same way I froze when my mother caught me eating ice cream straight out of the tub at midnight, possibly with the naive hope that if I stayed still enough, my mom might not have seen me. <laughs> But I know that she did, and I knew the scolding was on its way, and it was time to listen and to learn. Jesus uses the silence as an opportunity to teach, as he reframes the disciples' mindset away from their argument and disagreement about greatness and toward a new vision of what it means to be a community together as followers of Jesus. When we turn to our second scripture reading from James, we quickly find out that it didn't get easier to be a follower of Jesus or to be the church. In James' letter to the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered, James offers a series of practical teachings on how to form a new community, of how to live together, of how to be the church. It is not that easy being the church and this might be one of the reasons why we have so many epistles. The vast majority of the books that make up the New Testament take the form of a letter, addressed and sent to people and to churches, speaking to the reality that this thing called church is complicated. 
this thing called church is messy, and that churches can use guidance, and when we look carefully at the epistles, we notice that the early church was full of messes, contradictions, and disagreements. And I'm pretty sure the church today is still full of messes, contradictions, and disagreements. Arguments break out, much like the one among the disciples on the road. And in the portion of James's letter that we read this morning, James begins by asking, what is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? I am sure that question could be asked at almost any church, certainly here at First Pres and Arbor, and perhaps this past year has provided an uncomfortably close reminder that conflict and disagreements do happen. And I'm sure there have been a vast array of issues and debates in the long history of this congregation, as there are in any congregation, and spoiler alert, that there will be in the future in other congregations as well. This is normal. In fact, when we look at the history of the church that Blair talked about, at the history of Christians across the globe, across the country, and even across our pews, conflicts and disagreements, arguments are normal. And I would adventure to say that they are also unavoidable. After all, we are only human. And as we try to figure out what this thing called church looks like, coming together as a community is difficult and it's messy. We do not all have the same perspective, and in all honesty, if we all agreed all the time, life would become pretty boring. And so James is writing to the church that is struggling with conflict and disputes, and he uses some pretty strong rhetoric. James calls his audience envious, zealous, unfaithful. They pray with evil intentions. Their conflicts rise to the point of causing death to come to others. In this clear rebuke, James wonders if some in the early church do not love God, if they believe that they are the judge of the law and of their neighbor. James, however, also gives some practical advice by urging the church to be humble and to not judge one another. Humility with a non-judgmental attitude. James isn't arguing for a complete avoidance of all conflict, but for a genuine care and respect that leads the church into full and diverse communities. It is not the disagreement itself, but the selfish motivations behind them that James is most strikingly condemning. As James notes, God stands against the proud, but favors the humble. And James urges the church to humble yourself before the Lord, and God will lift you up. Jesus places a little child among the disciples and teaches the disciples a radical welcome and service that is humble and selfless. A child, possibly even an infant, would in no way be able to repay the welcome. There is no honor in welcoming someone with little to no social standing. To truly welcome a child like this would mean caring for the needs of, other, of another who is utterly dependent, with no desire for reward or recognition or greatness. And this is an example of how to embody humility and service. 
One biblical scholar notes that true greatness, as the disciples do not yet know, cannot be found in adding up one's social standing. It is only available where the vision of servanthood prevails. Humility and servanthood, that is the vision. The vision of how to live together to form community. The vision of how to be followers of Jesus, of how to be the church. As a servant, you care and tend to the needs of others. And when you are humble, you recognize that the needs of your neighbor are sometimes greater than your own. And sometimes your needs mean that you need to rely on the service and care of your neighbor. We come together as a community, as the church, to take care of each other and the world and our neighbors despite our disagreements and despite the messiness because we are blessed and we can be a blessing when we take an attitude of servanthood marked with humility. Maya Angelou was once asked in an interview, what do you think is the source of your own inspiration and energy? And part of her response was, quote, what humility does for one is it reminds us that there are people before me I have already been paid for. And what I need to do is prepare myself so that I can pay for someone else who is yet to come, but who may be here and needs me. Maya Angelou reminds us that humility first and foremost is about recognizing the needs of others, recognizing what others have done for us and what we can do for others. I wonder, with everything that God has done for us, what amazing things will God continue to do through us in the future? As followers of Jesus with humility and servanthood, the church has and will continue to do amazing things. Kermit begins by bemoaning the difficulties of being green, but he comes around to self-acceptance and to hope because being green is the color of spring, and green can be cool and friendly-like, and green can be big like an ocean, or important like a mountain, or tall like a tree. When green is all there is to be, it can make you wonder why, but why wonder why? Wonder, I am green and it'll do fine. It's beautiful, and I think it's what I want to be. It's not easy being the church, But the church can show God's love, and the church can be welcoming and friendly-like, and the church can be a family and servants to our neighbors and to the world. When the church is what Jesus calls us to be, it can make you wonder why, but why wonder why? Wonder, we are the church and it'll do fine. It's beautiful, and I know that's what Jesus wants us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray together. O blessed are you, O God, maker and giver of all good things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, our possessions. So use us and use all our things, and use what we have gathered together in feeding the whole world with your great love. We pray this through the one who gave himself for all of us, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Amen and amen. Please be seated.
Our prayer this morning is in the form of a call and response, and you have a part to play. It's a bidding prayer, and your response comes after the phrase, we need you, God, and you respond in the same way, we need you, God. So, from the top, we need you, God. We need you, God. Let us pray. God of peace, we come before you this day giving thanks for the gift of this very day and for the light and the promise that you offer into our world. Because we pray for peace on this planet, a world so filled with problems, we need you, God. We need you, God. Because people look at one another with bitterness and hate in their hearts, teach us the ways to reconcile our differences. We need you, God. We need you, God. Because families are separated by anger and frustration, give us love that overcomes delusion and rebellion. We need you, God. Because temptation is woven into the fabric of our lives, and we know the weariness of 40 days in the desert, and the beckoning power of sweet fruit in the vain promises of the world, we need you, God. We need you, God. Because we see the broken before the whole, the half-empty cup, the unfinished task, and the thirst and freedom's quest, we need you, God. We need you. Because we trust in what we can see, and we are blinded by our own prejudices, and we do not know what we do not know, we need you, God. We need you, God. Because our need for correctness exceeds our need for truth, and because our excuses preempt the cry of the wounded, and our celebration of blessing is mindless of all the children, women, and men, and families who are displaced or abandoned, we need you, God. But because you came among us and breathed into our weary, wiry souls, you healed our pain. You drew us together into communities of faith and practice and promise. And you let us wound you. You loved us to the end, even when we sought your life. You triumphed over all hatred. We need you, God. We need you, God. God of salt, God of the fire, God of anger, God of our laughter, God of parables and songs and anthems and riddles, God of stories and proclamation, God of Kermit and God of our children, God of those yet to be born, God of our comfort, God of our affliction, God of the salt, God of the fire. Come now and be here among us in this community of faith, that we may find your graces, that we may follow you into the world, and that we might mold our lives according to Jesus Christ, the one who gathered us together as a people, who gathered a child among us, and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. 
See you next week for another sermon from First Press.